Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. The word of the Lord reads as follows. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. And the word despised there can also mean neglected it, didn't pay attention to it, didn't give it importance because there was something larger on the scene, something greater that he saw. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, thank you for your word. The Holy Spirit, I pray that you minister mightily to us in our hearts, in our minds. Lord, may your word speak into our future. May you enlighten our understanding, my God. Open up the eyes of our understanding that we might see your love for us, that we might truly see it, Lord God, not just from a mental perspective, but from our hearts. We give you the praise for it. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen and amen. Praise God. You may be seated in God's presence. We look at the, the term Easter, but in reality, that was adopted by the 8th century Christians. Uh, if you read Acts chapter 12 in the, um, the King James Version, it actually says Passover. So the word Passover is really what we are dealing with. The term Passover is what we experience throughout the week or what we celebrate throughout the week. And Passover comes from a Hebrew word, which means, it's Pesach, which means to skip or leap over. How many of you saw the Ten Commandments yesterday? Like, like four people saw the Ten Commandments? All right, five. Five people saw the Ten Commandments. Praise God. It's, it's a beautiful rendition uh, and amazing because it was made at a time where they didn't have that, this CGI thing. Uh, I often wonder what it would look like if they utilize uh, today's technology. But the truth of the matter is it was a spectacular uh, movie. I mean, Yul Brenner, I mean, he made a great pharaoh. And Charlton Heston, he, he just didn't speak normally. The Lord God Almighty. He would come into his apartment. Honey, make me dinner. And he just, just, just sort of overactor a bit. But um, it was a great uh, movie. I love the part where they're in their home uh, and the death angel is coming by. You know, they made a really big emphasis to, to express and explain that if blood was on the doorposts and lintels, the death angel would come and look at it and pass over or pass by it, but not afflict the people that were on the inside. And it didn't make a difference because there were Nubian folk there, which meant people from Africa. Uh, you had people from Egypt there in the same home. Uh, the, the grandmother of Moses was there, you know, and, uh, she wasn't the natural-born grandmother, but she was welcome there too. So everybody that was under the blood was welcome in that place. And the death angel didn't care whether you were Jew or Gentile. It, he, it's, if you saw the blood, you were all right with him. If you saw the blood, you're okay. So it doesn't make a difference from what part of the world Jesus died for all of mankind. And so... Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, it says, For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And the ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. It was with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And we often wonder how, why it had to be such a deep sacrifice like that, why it involved blood. According to God's perspective, in Leviticus 17, 11, he says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you 
upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. It is the blood that makes an atonement for the soul. So we understand the blood, the blood, the blood. Now, if you consider blood, right now, if the blood were to pour out of your body, you immediately cease to exist because the life is in the blood. And it's amazing because um, blood speaks. You know, you, we can actually go into the microscope and you see there's a lot of activity in the blood. There are things we do not understand about it. There are teachings your parents can give you literally just by birthing you because the blood passes things on. Uh, genetics, uh, you know, the, uh, tendencies, proclivities, uh, penchants that we might have literally come from our parents. I don't know why I'm that way. Well, the blood taught you. You see, I don't know if some of you like watching things on Facebook, but the, the other day, about, no, about two months ago, they said this giraffe is just about ready to have a baby. And like every single day, could it be today? And then exciting, live. Uh, you know, the giraffe is just there. So for two months, we've all been sweating that. We've all been concerned for the giraffe. Finally, the giraffe had the baby yesterday. Yay! So... That and a funded Metro card get me in the train, you know. <laughs> Some of you will get that Wednesday. Uh, but the interesting thing about it is that giraffe immediately knew what it needed to do. It struggled to get up because it was concerned that something might come and try to kill it, right? Or, or it has a nature about it. Same thing with all of us. We have a nature, and it is found in the blood. And, but problem, part of the problem with the blood is from the Adamic nature, also the sin nature was in there. And this is what uh, God came to deal with as Jesus went on the cross. Well, he had human blood too, right? But here's the difference between Jesus and all the rest of humanity. The blood had to be pure. It had to be spotless. You couldn't have that Adamic nature built into it. So what happens? Yes, he was born of a virgin. But the blood or the seed came from the Holy Spirit. It didn't come from Adamic nature. So when Jesus died on the cross and he spilled his blood, this was pure blood, it was sinless blood. So the atonement that was made, it was not something that had to be done every year like they used to do in the Old Testament. They used to take a, a goat or a bull and, and, and sacrifice it, put the, the, a portion of the blood, sprinkle it on the altar. Then they would take another sacrifice, a goat. And they would take some blood and sprinkle seven times on the goat. And then they would send the goat out. They call it the scapegoat, right? But the truth of the matter is this goat, you know, carried the sins of mankind into the desert. But when Jesus died, it was once and for all. Perfect blood. You need no other sacrifice. When you receive Christ in your heart, the Lord cleanses you. He delivers you, but the blood of Christ forgives all sin. And here's what's so important about that. All of us mess up. All of us make mistakes. All of us sin. But when the blood cleanses you, that's it. it there's something uh, in legal term where it's expunged. It's no longer there. God does not see it any longer. But the Old Testament, you have to sprinkle it several, seven times. Seven times. And just briefly, I wanted to share something I shared various years ago. Because it's Easter, I want to sh share this uh, with you. Seven times in the Old Testament, they would sprinkle it. But are you aware that... It was seven places where the blood of Jesus was sprinkled, or not sprinkled, but poured out. The first place was 
the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know if you remember, but the Garden of Gethsemane is the first place where he sheds his blood. While he's there, he's praying, and he's agonizing. I mean, I don't know about you, but have you ever been through a difficult moment where you go through a lot of stress? It could be through a, because of a test or because you made a big mistake and now you have to share it. You have to say, my bad. I remember one time at work, I did something uh, that I had promised the board of directors I would handle, and I didn't handle it properly. So the night before, I said, you know, I, there's no way I can explain this away. I, I blew it. So this is what I'll do. Tomorrow, I will share with them I messed up. And what I did is I sent an email at night. I said, I did this. I apologize. Whatever needs to be done. In my mind, I could have been fired very easily. I could have lost my job that I worked so hard to acquire, but I had to accept it. I messed up. But that night, it was difficult. Have you ever been through that level of stress? You don't know what's going to happen? But I remember. And that's just little, a little issue. In the morning, they accepted my apology. And then my manager told me, Victor, you, you, you threw your own self under the bus. It's no big deal. You made a mistake. Next. I went, wow, it could have been that easy. I could have saved myself all the trouble of worrying, no sleep the night before. You know, thank you for telling me after the fact, right? <laughs> but yeah, we all go through these stressful times. But Jesus went through a stress. I don't know if there are too many humans that have ever experienced this level. Because at that point, it says that, it, that the sweat started uh, coming forth as it were blood. Beads of blood started coming forth. And there is a medical term that people under extreme stress can actually uh, um, break little capillaries at the skin level, and, and, and literally blood could come forth. And that's the first place. So that first place was the place where humankind lost its willpower. Because in the other garden, in the Old Testament, right, Adam gave in to the enemy. Jesus, on the other hand, restored our willpower. He restored our ability to stand. He restored our ability to be strong against the enemy. So if you're going through a battle now, guess what? Jesus is here to give you the strength to overcome. Praise God. Whereas through the Adamic nature, we might give up, but through Jesus' nature, we're not going to give up. Let me tell you something about Jesus. I don't like those effeminate pictures about Jesus. One person smiled, the other said, oh, you're trading on dangerous ground. No, no, I don't like that. Because that, the, the Jesus of many pictures is like this. My Jesus was a carpenter. Have you ever been slapped by a carpenter? My Jesus stayed in a, a very difficult place, the desert, where during the day, maybe 100 degrees, 120 degrees. At night, it could go down to 30, 40 degrees, 40 days. You have to be a man's man to go through that. My Jesus one time got angry, and he, he started whipping people. Now, I don't know about you, but it takes a man to be strong like that. And, and ladies, I'm not trying to say that, you know, you ladies aren't tough. We all know that you are strong. You, you have the same nature. What I'm saying is that Jesus and his willpower and his strength is now in us. Amen. You understand? Jesus was a strong man, a man's man. Praise God. And so we now have that, by the Spirit of God, that ability to stand against the attacks of the enemy. And he restored it back to us when his blood was dropped in that specific place. And it was key. It was on purpose that had, that had to be dealt with. 
our willpower, our ability to overcome. So say with me, I'm an overcomer. With His help. Praise God. With His help, I'm an overcomer. So when Jesus rose from the grave, His sacrifice, the blood that was spilled there, the blood that was shared, His sacrifice was complete. Say with me, it was complete. See, you don't need any, any help now. You don't need to add to that. Jesus doesn't need helpers. He finished the task. He finished the job. His sacrifice is complete. Hallelujah. His power, the power of the blood to save. And by the way, that word that we were talking about, Pesach, also means to deliver, to protect, and to restore. So there are some things the enemy took from you that by virtue of Jesus' sacrifice will be now restored back to you. Now, when man promises you a thing, it might not happen. But when God promises you something, you could stand on that. You could stand on his promises. Hallelujah. So I'm grateful to that. And the second place was the whipping post. By his stripes, we were healed. So while he was being whipped, while he was suffering that moment, blood was shared there. Blood was spilled there. By his stripes, the Bible says, we are healed. My mind is healed. My heart is healed. My hopes and desires, my future is healed. Listen to me what I'm telling you. I don't care what the enemy has done in the past to you. There's a new day for you. There's a new day. New future. New hopes. New desires. New faith. New expectation. New boldness. New courage. New communication, new dreams, new vision, new desires. Glory to God. All for the glory of God. Because He created you. He knows you. He loves you. And He, and he placed in you all that you need to be victorious in life. And not only that, we're, we're not here, we're not here to, to ask Jesus to help us to be successful per se. Or I could be a better employee. Or I could have a better car. I don't care about those things. Because they come and go. He came to give us eternal life presently. I am walking in eternal life right now. This body of mine is temporal. This will go back to the flesh. But I even have another body that God will give me. He came to give us eternal life. He came to give us relationship. He came to bring us back to his family. We are now family with Almighty God. Praise God. So that second thing, I love it because he healed everything that the enemy broke. Everything that the enemy destroyed in the past. And when I looked at it, I said, no more hope. Now I have hope. Say to your neighbor, we have a new hope. hope. Praise God. And the third thing, the third place, is when he took him to Pilate to stand trial. Some took thorn branches, wove them into a crown, and placed them on the brow of Jesus until the blood flowed from his head. Some people don't realize the level of pain he went through. I'm going to pass this around. I want you to be very careful with this. This will cut you. This is the the same type of tree or shrub that was used during that day. So you want to pass it by? Be very careful with this. Imagine somebody thrusting that on your head. It is absolutely miserable. Where was the thrust? Interesting. 
What is inside the head? <laughs> the brain. The thinking, the mind. The ground was cursed due to Adam's sin. And part of the manifestation of the curse was that the ground would bring forth thorns and thistles. So that's another issue. Interesting. That's part of the curse. The ground is supposed to provide for us. It's supposed to bring forth provision. And God gives us ideas and wisdom and understanding as to how to be able to interface with the ground. Interface with resources. And be able to bring forth stuff into our present and into our future for the benefit of, the, of humanity in such a way that it would bring glory to God, gratitude to God, but also benefit to humankind. I'm talking to you this moment because, and I'm saying this to you because the greatest achievements are yet to be achieved today. And it's, it's interesting that achievements can happen a lot quicker. What the enemy wanted to take away from you, God is now restoring it to you. Resources, ideas, concepts. What was a curse, the, the, the ground would not bear for you. In the past, the enemy took away your ability to generate finance and resources and, and, and ability to help others. Now that gets restored to you. I was talking yesterday to an Uber guy. And it's amazing that this one guy got, had an idea to create an app. And this app has now taken over. I mean, these, I, I, right now I could get myself an Uber license and drive and get business just on an app. Yesterday, how did I call him? I didn't. I went to the app and I pressed, I want to go this way. No problem. Two minutes, he'll be right here. One minute, he's, he's right outside your door. Here's his number. Here's his, whatever. I mean, it's amazing. Medium shirt, you know, <laughs> six foot five. I don't, amazing. He took me right to my, and I didn't have to give him a penny. Well, I did. It was just linked to my credit card. All through an app. All through modern day technology. And I'm speaking into your spirit, man, because you have ideas and concepts and things that God wants to do in and through you for the betterment of humanity. Amen. I'm going to share the same old boring story, but some of you didn't hear it, but I'm going to share it again. Just briefly so you can know. In the early 80s, my father had an idea. And he says, he says son... I want to be able, because he used to do it right in his kitchen. He used to cook burgers. He used to take a piece of steel, right, and put it right on top of the burger, and it would cook quicker. I says, son, I want to do something where I could create almost like a, a thing that would cook from the bottom and on the top at the same time. And I drew it out for him because I took drafting class. And you know what I drew out? The George Foreman Lean Mean Grilling Machine. Yeah, I did. I, I really did. I drew it out. I said, is this what you're talking about? I said, yes, because if you provide heat from the top and from the bottom, you will be able to cook a lot quicker because he used to do it right in his kitchen. So we brought it to the idea people in 42nd Street. Um, at that time, it was a Pan Am building. They looked at it. They liked it. They said, this can fly. This can work. So uh, Victor Sr., you have to give us $2,800, and we will invest the lion's share but we'll do like, I, I forgot how much was the percentage. It was maybe a 70-30. But my dad would get the patent to it because they were patent people. And this would be a perpetual blessing for our family. And I went with him. I was so excited that my dad, you know, he got at the muster to think up an idea. And he invested. In 1982, I think it was, $2,800 was a lot of money. It really was. And he invested all that he had. Okay. The following week, no, maybe two weeks later, we're waiting for everything. In Channel 7 Eyewitness News, I see idea people close their doors. 
locked their doors, furniture's gone, they left. Suddenly, idea, our idea was gone. Six months later, the first rendition of that lean, mean, grilling machine came out to market. I don't care who says it. And in, Sa- in Spanish, you say, a mí nadie me saca. From that point, nobody will take me out of that point. This is what I believe, and I'm going to die with that belief. The Holy Ghost will have to change my, my mind. I think they stole it from us. That's my opinion. But you know, years later, I appreciate that George Foreman bought it out. He bought out that franchise, and you know, he, he's a, he was Christian. He's a Christian. He's a preacher. And he was able to help a lot of kids with it. So at least he stayed in the kingdom. But my family lost something. The enemy took something from us, and I don't appreciate it. So I said, God, thank you that by virtue of your sacrifice, there are ideas and concepts that are now going to come to me and my family and my children and my grandchildren that are going to restore everything that the enemy took. So I declare that. I take that promise. Praise God. And I remember before my father passed away, you know, I, I made a book. I put it right on his chest. I said, Dad, you now have an author in the family. And I believe that God's going to give me ideas and concepts and my children and my children's children. I'm believing that. I'm declaring that every day. Praise God. Why? Because I can. I have the authority to. Because God restored that to me. The earth was cursed. But now because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the earth will now start bearing forth the fruit. And what's in the ground? Everything's in the ground. Everything. Healing is in the ground. Healing is in the trees. Gold and silver is in the ground. Metal, steel is in the ground. Now, what can we do with that? I believe that we are in for our greatest days. I believe that God's going to give you wisdom and understanding. So I want you to pray over your mind right now. Just put your hand over your mind. Father, I thank you that my mind is blessed. Say with me, my mind is blessed. That in this season, you're going to give me ideas, concept, wisdom, understanding. And I'm going to be a blessing in my generation. And you're going to give me all that I need, the resources, the understanding. You're going to give me divine connections. You're going to give me the ability to speak to people and let them see things that they didn't see any before, heretofore. You're going to give me ideas and concepts in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, give him some praise. Hallelujah! I believe it. I go into every meeting with an expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to give me wisdom and understanding. In the past, I would say, I I can't do it. I'm not as good as them. I'm not as... I don't care now. I don't care. I know he's with me. So if he's with me, he's going to give me favor. I remember I went to one job, went to the interview. I was the youngest. I had the least amount of experience. Everybody in front of me had more experience. I saw him coming out. I said, whoa, I know this guy. This guy has a lot of... Whoa, I don't have this. But guess what? I got the job. You know why? The manager looked at me and he says, I don't know why, but I feel I need to push you into this. I need to give you the chance. Something is moving inside of me to to help you. Inside, I'm going, go ahead, Holy Ghost. God's giving you favor. Say to your neighbor, he's giving you favor. Hallelujah. Amen. On another occasion, in another assignment, this one guy, he was fighting with himself. I'm sitting there and saying, uh, you're not qualified for this. I don't understand why I think I need to give you this job. Just man, elderly man. And he's fighting with his own self. I'm sitting there going, go ahead, Holy Ghost. I was enjoying the moment because this man was in turmoil because he felt I wasn't qualified enough. But he also felt that he had to give me the job. I didn't put a 50 in his hand or 200 in his hand. It was the Holy Spirit moving upon this man. 
So what I'm saying is you need to stop thinking that you're not good enough because if the Spirit of God is in you and you are a child of God, you are a prince among men. You are princesses among women. In this generation, you have power. You have authority. You have boldness. You have wisdom. You have one hand up. You have an advantage because the Spirit of God has given you a breakthrough. So you need to shift the way you think about yourself because you are important into today's economy, in today's government, in today's systems, in today's ecclesiology. You are important. You're gifted. You are amazing. Why? Because God has made it so. He broke the curse. You are blessed, blessed, blessed. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Yes, yes, yes. Second Corinthians chapter 2, I mean chapter 8 verse 9 says, it says that Jesus became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. Now it's not speaking about money. It's about rich in wisdom, rich in relationship, rich in our ability to share Jesus with others. And what that will mean is other people will come back into sync with Almighty God through your testimony. You'll shift atmospheres at work, environments at home. You'll help to shift people, your children, your grandchildren, your community, your city. Shift them back into the purposes of God. And that is so needed today. Amen? Amen. Can I get a witness on that? We need to get shifted back to God. John 10.10 says, I have come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Did everybody see this already? You want to hang out with this a while? No. All right, we'll leave it up here then. But you see the difference with this cross? Jesus is no longer there. Hallelujah. The fourth place that Jesus shed his blood was on his hands. And hands represent authority and our labor in life. When Jesus bled from his hands, dominion was returned to God's children. That means whatever evil we encounter, we now have authority in Jesus' name to render it harmless. That's why we're supposed to lay hands even on our children. Bless them. Lay hands on our children. Bless. The labor of your hands. The labor of your hands. It's important. Some of you are training right now to go into different forms of labor. Some of you are entrepreneurial, so you're going to open up your own business. You need to know that God is going to help you every step of the way. We need righteous folk in government. We need righteous folk in business and enterprise. We need righteous folk in every area in the school system. We need Holy Spirit-filled teachers, professors. And it's going to take a lot of strength because today anything Christian gets attacked. Around the world, really. So we need to come in there with authority, the boldness, and the humility of Jesus. So that people could shift from the, the, the darkness that's clouding their minds. What, what did uh, Philip say before he was stoned? He said, Forgive them, Lord, for they don't know what they're doing. They really didn't. They, they were blinded by the spirit of this age. Of, yeah, in that day, Jesus forgave them on the cross, right? They didn't know what they were doing. And even in our midst, we have people sometimes that will persecute us, but they don't know what they're doing. They really think 
that it's the right thing to do to persecute a Christian. How many of you have people persecute you just because you're a Christian? Amen. Yeah, I've, I've, myself, I've been persecuted or they might pick on you or they might, uh, but that's an honor. The Bible says when you're persecuted for being a Christian, it's an honor. And that gives God glory. So when somebody misunderstands you, guess what? They misunderstand you now, but tomorrow when they come to Jesus, they'll be your best friend. When they go through a crisis, guess who they're going to ask for prayer? So many people used to criticize me, but when they were going through their crises, they would come to me. And I would say, Ahora tu vienes a mí, eh? Now you come to me? Huh? Now that you got a problem? But I wouldn't say it that way. I just say that in my mind. <laughs> I said, come on, what do you need, my brother? I remember one guy, for three years he'd avoid me. And when he went through a crisis in his family, he came. Three years later, I said, hello, who's this? Wow, God bless you. How are you? Man, I'm doing well. And guess what? I came to Jesus. I said, oh, brother, that is great news. I'm so happy. Yeah, but I'm losing my family. Mm, all right, so let's get together. Let's pray. We counseled with him. We counseled with the family and the whole thing. You know, bottom line is they were healed. And to this day, everything's all right, 20-something years later. Hallelujah. But what if I would have had an attitude? I said, now you're not going to talk to me. You haven't been wanting to talk to me for three years. You've been ignoring me. I tried to do my best. You kicked me to the curb. No, 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 no. The love of God compels us to be available, to be there. Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And be healing hands in our community. Praise God. The fifth uh, place was when they pierced his feet. And now feet represent dominion, authority, and your life journey. So now instead of your life being a curse or being cursed, your life now becomes a blessing. God walks with you in life. I remember at age 15, I knew I was going nowhere. I was just going to be the next, uh, you know, nightly news person. They were going to show me uh, maybe early death or something, but guess what? No. When I came to Jesus, Jesus changed my future. So now I walk a different path. When I was 15, I knew nothing, was gonna, nothing good was going to come in my life because our family was all messed up. My friends were all on drugs, and it was terrible. But when I came to the church, I received a new revelation about the love of God for me and my future. And so when I look back, I say, thank God that Jesus came into my life because he shifted me into the purposes of God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now I can do all things that Christ has called me to do. Amen. We're supposed to be the head, not the tail. In Deuteronomy 28, 13, it said that we are the head and not the tail. We'll be the head and we'll be blessed in the city, in the country, wherever we go, we'll be blessed. That word blessed is empowered. Empowered to prosper. The word blessed is something that God authorizes the blessing upon you or authorizes um, the nature of grace and favor to follow you. So things shift in your favor. Favor is not fair. It really isn't. Because sometimes you walk into a scene, you're quiet, and, and they'll say, no, I think we should work with you. We don't understand why, but we should bring you in. That's favor. You didn't pay the price, but yet God, who paid the price for us, by the way, he allows us that favor to be blessed in life. Amen? So say to yourself, say, I thank God that I walk in God's divine favor. By his grace, by his love, by his sacrifice. Amen? Amen. We are the head and not the tail. 
Every place which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. God told Joshua that. Wherever you step, it'll, it, it's already yours, he said. I love it. So in other words, God already designed a success map for you. And as you take the steps in obedience, it's already yours. It's almost as you're coming to the bank to get a cash check for you already in your name. Isn't that cool? So in life, God has already determined a prearranged blessing or series of blessings for you. And as you take the steps of obedience, you're going to walk into something that God already prepared on your behalf. You don't know how it's going to happen. And this is the frustration with us because we want to know how God's going to do it. God, I know you're going to bless me, but I want to know how you're going to bless me. Tomorrow, I want to know how this thing is going to work out. Next week, I want to know how this thing is going to work out. Well, guess what? That's not the way it works. Sometimes you don't know how God is going to bless you. We even preconceive the way God's going to bless us. Most of the time, we're wrong. But the blessing comes forth, and we see the answer. We look back and say, wow, I could have never figured this one out. <laughs> the truth of the matter is we have to trust him because he already laid out a map. Every step that you take. And that presupposes that we take a step. So if, if you want God's blessing, guess what? You have to take a step of reading the word. A step of trusting him. You have to do a step of confessing the word. You have to take a step of faith and get into that. But well, one of these days, one of these days, no, a man of faith, a woman of faith takes that step. Because every step that I take, God will bless. But if I don't take the step... God can't bless what's not in movement. And faith always moves. Faith is active. And when we trust God, we move in faith. Well, you know, somebody's waiting for a word. Uh, let me call pastor. She could give me a word. Let me call sister so-and-so. She's prophetic. So she could give me a word. And, and they're like paralyzed. No, no, take God's word, which is already there. It's already in the scripture. And move with that. <laughs> Frankly, I'm concerned when people start giving me direction. I prefer let the word give me direction. Because yes, <clears throat> somebody might give you the wrong direction. Then you go, oh, God, you said, no, I didn't say brother so-and-so said. And he wasn't, he wasn't talking for me. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we put too much trust in people as it relates to our future. You need to be very careful with that. We need to be scriptural. The word of God is the only sure, concrete word. That's the one that, that we can trust uh, literally with our lives and our eternity. I, I see a lot of, per, of, of potential in this room, a lot of potential. And God is saying to us that we're in a place right now where the door is open for the potential to be manifest. I'm really hearing that. I'm, I'm seeing that and, and I'm, I'm rejoicing in it because I'm seeing how God is going to start unleashing some of you uh, to, to be able to do things that you didn't really think. But it's been in your heart, but you go, I can't do that. Or one of these days, one of these days. God's saying one of these days has arrived. Amen. One of these days is here. Amen. And God is, God is saying, I want to partner with you. I'm about ready to do things in the earth realm, but I don't work apart from man in the earth realm. See, because why was Jesus on the cross as a man? Because God said in Genesis, man, you're in charge here in the earth realm. See, so God literally submits to his own word. When God says man is in charge in the earth realm, everything has to be done by man here in this earth realm. See, you understand? So when God's about ready to move, what does he do? He gives a vision to a person. He gives a dream. He gives a scripture to them. 
He, he puts their hearts on fire for his purposes. And he works with them. And partners with them in the earth realm. Why? Because God said, man's in charge in the earth realm. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as is being done in heaven. We have to pray that. So this is why when we don't pray, when we don't seek God, when we don't read the word, when we don't seek his will, nothing happens. God is looking for that man. He's looking for that woman that would stand for him, that would dare to pray things into existence here in this earth realm. God, I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm declaring it now. I'm declaring my children are blessed. I'm declaring my region is blessed. I'm declaring people are going to get saved on my job. I'm declaring that I'm of sound mind. I'm declaring that I have the strength to do what you called me to do. I'm, declare, I'm declaring that I'm more than able to do all that you called me to do. Amen. Praise God. But we have to get active. We have to get active in prayer. Praise God. I remember at age 15, I, I knew very little word. I was just saved. And I remember this young lady going through a problem, an issue, and the Spirit of God told me, tell her that I love her. That's it. Simple as that. Can't get more simpler than that, people. Amen. So I went up to her and said, God just finished telling me to tell you that he loves you. She started bawling and crying. And later on, I found out that it was right there. She was praying to God. And I said, God, do you love me? Do you really love me? You know, I'm going through so many things, but do you love me? And here I walk up and say, oh, God says to say he loves you. Did I understand what was going on in the background? No. I just obeyed God. And I took that step of faith. And I went for it. And, and I, I became a blessing. I partnered with Almighty God. God could have sent an angel to say that to us. But he wanted to move through man. Amen. Praise God. And in this day, the greatest achievements are going to happen through mankind. Who? Anointed men of women of God that are hearing God. That are sensitive to God. That are taking that time out to pray. One famous evangelist said, Today I'm so busy that I'm going to have to pray three hours. He used to pray an hour a day. But he got so busy and his life got so complicated, he said, I have to pay, pray three hours. We say, I have no time to pray. But he had a revelation that in times of prayer with Almighty God, he gets a revelation and a wisdom and a strategy that will get things done in a quarter of the time. And plus, he'll get it right. We spend our time away from church doing so many things that we think work, then they don't work, and then we say we have no time. Why? Because we're doing things. We're, we're, we're reinventing wheels that God is saying, no, go this way. No, no I want to go all the way this way. And, you know, we, we tend to be stubborn that way. But get back into prayer. Get back into seeking God. And watch how you're, you, you'll be able to get more time out of your time, more, more effectiveness out of your time. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. The sixth place he shed his blood was when a soldier pierced his heart with a spear while on the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ's heart was broken so that the brokenhearted may be healed and have the joy of the Lord restored to them. The joy of the Lord is our strength. God desires that his people live with joy, with peace. His heart was broken so that yours would be healed. Is your heart broken right now? Has somebody broken your heart? Has life broken your heart? Are you at a place where you're disillusioned in life? Where God is, says, God is saying, I'm about ready to set your life on fire once again. The joy of the Lord is being restored. Say with me, I receive the joy of the Lord. Amen. Jesus took away the sin, but he also takes away the pain of the sin. In the joy of the Lord, strength is renewed. Depression is vanquished. Hopelessness and despair are obliterated. Hallelujah. And the last one was the bruises. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
And iniquity can mean a wicked act or sin, but it also could be a spiritual force on the inside that pressures us to bow or break under its destructive nature. A, a bruise can mean that you're bleeding on the inside. The Lord Jesus Christ heals us, but also heals us on the inside, and he gives us power on the inside so that we could walk in victory. Many look good on the outside. That is true. And we know how to look good on the inside, but yet inside we're suffering. Many are tender on the inside, but God has made provision for our inner wounds today. Hallelujah. And I opened up with a verse that said Jesus is the author and the finisher. An author writes out a scenario that he sees within. Well, guess what? Jesus authored your life. And he brought you to that place where you said, yes, Lord, I receive you as Lord and Savior. Because many of us were running away from God. We were not running to God. But he creates scenarios and he creates opportunities. He brings that neighbor to say, listen, I'm praying for you. That mother that constantly intercedes for you. That father that brings you to church and, and connects you with the church. That best friend that continually invites you to Easter and you show up to church. God is constantly authoring ways of getting you hooked up. He's the author. He's the beginner. The author is somewhat of a Genesis type of person because he creates it all. And then the finisher is one who brings it to completion. You know, you get a lot of construction in communities. Most construction is ugly, right? You go to a place where they break the ground, then they dig down, right? And here in New York City, it's ugly because whenever you pass by a place that's in active construction, what are some of the things that you experience? Noise, what else? Huh? Holes in the ground? Absolutely. Huh? Dust? Oh, all over the place. The neighboring buildings and cars, the dust on the windows, or what else? Pollution? Absolutely. What else? Traffic? Well, sometimes, yeah, because while they're, we're, with the place where they're doing the construction, they got those big trucks, the cement trucks, and it causes, uh, I guess, gridlock, bottlenecks, right? Cranes. And what about vermin? Oh, yeah. Uh, all over the place. You're walking and the rats all They go, hi, how are you? And they pass by. They're not even afraid of you. It's amazing. Right? So most of construction is ugly. It's nasty. But then after a while, they put the cladding on the building. They put the brickwork on the building. They put the windows. Now, when they put the windows and the brickwork, they're not finished yet. Now the finishers have got to come in. The finishers are the ones that put the sheetrock. They're the ones that do the paint work. They're the ones that do the molding work. So I don't care about, you know, anything. When I go to see an apartment, I don't want it to see, I don't want to see it without sheetrock. For me to be moved to, to invest, I don't know, $400,000 in a good quality condominium here in the city. Actually, that's just average nowadays. That's <laughs> $1.2 million, right? That's the 80s, 90s, 70s. And then and 5 to 10 to 20 million in Fifth Avenue. And it, exactly. I, I went back to the 80s for a moment. $400,000. You know, maybe if you move to Florida, you'll be able to get a nice... Here, here, yeah. There's, there's an apartment, in, in, I, I think in the 80s, in Fifth Avenue, where it's literally 90 square feet, which means it's this big. That's it. 
and they pay like $2,500 for the month. So what the person did is they put their bed up here, and they literally built all the way up, every single wall. So when you come in, kitchen, bathroom, <laughs> office. <laughs> literally, it's amazing what the person did. I see, I'm very happy here. And you're right, you're very happy. You're going to be happy for one year, and then after that, all bets are off. Imagine you get a boyfriend. The boyfriend's got to bring in all his sneakers and all that other stuff. You're not going to be too happy very quickly, yeah, right? Yeah, right. You're going to be happy just for now. But the truth of the matter is, when I come in, I want to see the molding. I want to see nice paint, color coordination. I want to see nice drapes, right? It's the finishing that makes the difference. If you go inside, if you, let's say, for example, the biases, you just finished putting a nice new kitchen, right? It's gorgeous. But while it was happening, was it, were you enjoying it? Of course not. Imagine if you would have put just three cabinets instead of ten cabinets. I said, you got to be happy with this. No, I'm not going to be happy. I want to see it finished. No, we want to see it finished. And that's the difference between a complete work and a half-hearted work. There was this one guy. He worked for an older man. Uh, he used to build houses. And this man was about ready to retire. So the owner said, listen, before you retire, could you do one more building for me, one more house? He said, okay. But he was tired. He didn't really want to do it anymore. And so what he did was he started building it. But on the inside, he didn't finish the plumbing. and He didn't really do good work. He didn't do good finished work. And so the house, he did it half-hearted. All the other houses, A1 work, but this one, half-hearted, right? So he finished the job. He gave the keys to the old man. Here, old man, this is your last house. I'm going to retire now. I said, well, no, hold on, hold on. This is your retirement gift. <laughs> the guy went. <laughs> he immediately remembered that the plumbing there wasn't finished and this wasn't done, uh, uh, inferior products and everything. <laughs> oh, my God. That's not the way Jesus worked it out for us. He did finished work. He went all the way. He not only starts our life, he finishes our life. And after he finishes, then he goes back to the beginning and he says to us, okay, now start it out. Don't worry, everything's all right. You're going to reach certain markers, and by faith you're going to apprehend this for your journey, then that for your journey, and that for your journey. Don't worry, everything you need has been met according to my riches and glory. Hallelujah! Amen. So I submit to you today that our investment, our life investment in Jesus Christ is the best thing we could ever do. First and foremost, the most important thing is you do not want to leave this earth without relationship with God. Because you will go before God one day and you will present your life before God. And God is a holy, holy, holy God. And when he sees your works, your works will not come to the level of holiness that he demands. But God made provision in that when Jesus died on the cross, he made a way for us to go before God and have our works meet the level of demand in the heavenlies. 
Why? Because when we come to Jesus, we are now in Christ. When we go before the Father that day, the Bible says every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. Some for blessing and some will realize, oh my God, the great master, the one that I rejected all my life and now I'm staring him in the face and I have nothing to show but my own works, which are always faulty. But when you go before God and you're in Christ, God will see you, but he'll see his son in you. He says, come, my beloved. So the best investment we can ever make is not an investment in Goldman and Sachs. It's not an investment in a major corporation or stock. It's not buying a McDonald's somewhere in 3rd Avenue or 5th Avenue. That's not the best investment you could ever make. The best investment you can ever make is an investment of giving your life to Jesus. And asking him into your heart. And saying, Lord, I need you. Forgive me. The blood cleanses our sin. You might say, well, you know, I'm too much of a sinner. Uh, Excuse me. There are some heavy sinners in scripture that God worked through. Moses was a great man of God, right? Well, guess what? He killed an Egyptian. He was a murderer. What about David? Great king, right? King was a blood, he was a bloody warrior. And not only that, he killed a man so he could have his wife. That's nasty. But God forgave him. That man was quick to repent. So it was not the men that were great, it's our God who's great that works through us and loves us in spite of our imperfections. And today, Almighty God is reaching out to you and saying, I love you. I want to bless you. I want to walk with you. I want all that I have, all that I am, I want it to be yours in this earth realm. Because you have a work to do. You have a purpose. You have something that God has deposited in you, and that needs to be sown into the kingdom of God so it could birth the righteousness factor in and through you so that you could be that blessing that God called you to be. Amen? 